Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, and best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to learn how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone. Welcome. We're very happy to have you here at this uh, Empower uh, host in RPA. I'm Zena Seaton, one of the uh, co-founders of Women in RPA and the Vice President of Customer Experience at Blue Prism. And I'm very happy to have with me uh, three uh, panelists today, two from Blue Prism and one from Thames Water. They are Nikki North, David Lerma, David Lerma, and Ben D. Bassan. You guys give a wave. Uh, they're going to introduce themselves in just a moment, but just uh, wanted to tell you that today what we're going to be talking about is diversity. It mm -hmm. might seem like we focus a little bit, bit more on gender diversity as uh, we are women in RPA, but we really want to open the conversation to all types of diversity and really talk about what we should be challenging in the world around us in order to improve equality for everyone. So as my panelists introduce themselves, I want to throw up a quick poll and get you guys engaged about what we're going to be talking about. So Charlotte, if you can put up the poll, we will jump into introductions. Nikki North from Thames Water, let's start with you. Hi everyone. Yes, yeah, so I'm Nikki North. I work for Thames Water as an RPA lead. I started working with RPA back in 2006, so a very long time ago. So long ago that we didn't actually call it RPA back then because that term didn't get invented for about another six years from when I started. It was very early days when I started on my journey, been from the version one of Blue Prism. We had two PCs and a switch box, none of the sort of fancy virtualized stuff that we have now. And I spent the last 15 years working my way around different roles in RPA, doing all, learning all the different skills and all the, the different roles that are sat within the Centre of Excellence. And I joined this session today because I want to choose to challenge the perception that you need to have um, a certain technical background or you need to have a certain graduate background and able to be successful in a role in technology. Thank you. Awesome. Great. Yes, you're a true pioneer. Uh, in this space, and we look forward to digging into that a little bit more with you. David, let's uh, let's go to you, David Lerma, to introduce yourself. Yes, hello. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is David Lerma. Um, I'm the marketing or the director of marketing operations here at Blue Prism. I've been at Blue Prism for two years now, but my career has spanned for don't want to date myself, but about 20 years in prime, all in high tech. So from software, hardware companies, all in marketing roles. And when thinking about this session, I came to the realization and looking back at my career that predominantly the vast majority of the teams that I was, that I've been on and the roles that I've set and that I've been on in, in the organizations that I've been in have been, the teams have been majority women, which I had not really thought about it, that at the time. It was just something that a realization now and leading into this, into this session, which I think is actually really great. And it's a testament, I think, to the teams and the organizations that I've been into, whether intentionally or not. But when I look back on it, I think it's great that there was some that there was some diversity there and some representation. So um, really looking at this session and the choose to, to challenge mantra, it's really about just recognizing, recognizing times that maybe that there is some kind of bias or some not attention to diversity and me as a man calling it out and being an advocate for change. <clears throat> Thanks, David. I appreciate that. We really need more of our male colleagues to see this as one of an issue for them to take up as well and uh, to speak out. So thank you so much for being here and look forward to having you share some more later in the uh, in the hour. Uh, Bindi Bassan, let's have you introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for joining today. I'm really looking forward to today's session. So I just want to give you some insights into me. So I've been stranded at 18,000 feet in the snow in one of the highest mountain ranges in the world. I have won a bronze medal at Shotokan Karate competing in Japan. And I've also choreographed a dance piece for the Belgian princess. 
So really what I wanted to, and the purpose for highlighting that is that our experiences shape who we become. My career has been a true reflection of that. I've had the opportunity to work with some tremendous people working multiple countries around the world, really mastering the art of building high performing teams, getting people to shift mindset think in a different way and helping businesses to recognize how shifting their thinking can really help them drive value and outcomes uh, for the business and the customers. So I joined Blue Prism in 2016. At that point, we didn't actually have a physical presence in Asia Pacific. And I was brought on to set up a services team in India. Very quickly, because the, the rate that we were growing, um, that became Asia Pacific. And before I knew it, I was setting up the whole customer facing capability across the entire region, including Japan, all at the same time. So today I lead the customer office in Asia Pacific, which I classify as probably one of the most culturally diverse and complex regions in the entire world. And every single day I'm inspired to, to challenge um, and to my thing for me is really the challenge and the perception that you can't have strong women leaders. I've met some incredible ones on my journey and absolutely you can. And on every single day, my team challenge me, bring creativity to the table and choose to think differently. So I'm hoping that this session will inspire people, but I'm also really excited to hear what my um, um, co-panelists um, will be sharing as well. Thank you, Lina. <clears throat> yes, thank you. So yeah, I'm curious to see what they'll be sharing as well. So let's jump right in. We have prepared a few questions um, to get us all started today, but please enter your questions uh, into the questions panel and we will jump into those um, probably here in about 20 minutes. So definitely want an opportunity to get to your questions. So Nikki, let's start with you. As uh, as you shared with us in your in your introduction, you're practically one of the co-founders of RPA, right? You were here before it was even called Robotic Process Automation. So that's uh, pretty amazing. And can you share your journey? One of the things that you mentioned you want to choose to challenge is that you have to have a technical background to get into this business. And of course, we uh, as women in RPA always say, that you don't have to have a technical background. So share your journey with us and with our audience and how you got to the successful place in your career you are today. Yeah, sure. Um, so prior to joining the team that I worked in back in 2006, I didn't have a particular career. In fact, I went from college into working for McDonald's and then I left McDonald's to go and work at a call center. And when I was on the call centre, I got an opportunity to go and work on a project, testing one of the new systems that we were putting in. And it was a big, long IT project. It got extended and, and it came to the time where we were all due to go back to our home roles. This for me, that would have been back on the phone. And one of the people that was on the team with me had suggested there was a, a vacancy on his team. And it was something that he thought I might be quite good at. So I bit the bullet and, and applied for that role. And then I got the job. And it turned out that one of the tasks that I had was running the Blue Prism control room. As I said before, it was on a very sort of young version and we actually had Blue Prism consultant on site with us. We didn't, there was no such thing as developers back then. They were the Blue Prism guys that did all that. And over the sort of years to come, I'd come from a background of being in a call centre. Like I said, I've been on a big IT project. So to see this tool that could do, it could fix all the problems that as a call centre agent, I got frustrated with and I could see how quickly it could deliver things and, and obviously it didn't have a name. We didn't really know what we were doing, but we sort of started working with Blue Prism to evolve the role of a business analyst. So once I'd stopped doing the control room, that was the first thing that I did. Then we started to form what testing would look like. So there was a sort of tester role defined. I went on to be an accredited developer. Now, not in the, the way you do it now, I actually went to Blue Prism head office for a three-day course and then I had to have my work assessed. Someone came out to look at one of my processes that I built, but really the technical bit wasn't for me. I managed the service and then I went to be a senior analyst about four or five years ago. I got the opportunity to step up and, and have a role as, of, as head of RPA and, and I think being able to do all those different roles and all those different parts of the, the centre of excellence as we know it today. It just really made me see what it was that I wanted to do. And I realized as I was going through that journey, I didn't really want to do anything else other than RPA because it's something that I was really passionate about, something that I really believed in. And I thought it was a really great thing for businesses to adopt. And it, it was a really good chance for me to contribute as well. Sometimes you can, you might in tech now, you can start a role and you, you have to just learn about all the things that are going on. You have to assimilate yourself to the environment. But I was lucky enough to be part of creating that environment, working with, there was about five 
foundation customers back then, the Blue Prism world as we have now. I hosted it once on the 25th floor of our building. There was 10 people in the room and it used to be called the Operational Agility Forum. And, and so being able to contribute to the revolution that was the version 4 product that came out, a lot of that was feedback, things that we'd experienced along with some other customers and, and that sort of thing. And I think being part of that journey early on as well, RPA has helped me to grow in my confidence because being an early adopter, I was invited to go and speak at forums, go and speak at um, congresses. And I'd never got up on stage and spoke before and doing panels. Obviously, they used to be face to face. Now everything's a lot more virtual. And it gave me the confidence to go out and do that kind of thing because I had something to say and people wanted to listen. And, and those were the main times when, you know, and from a diversity perspective, I would look at the agenda and I'd scan down it and think I'm pretty confident I'm the only woman on there. You never know with names these days, but... And, and that can sometimes be quite difficult. And you look out in the audience and you just see a sea of male faces looking back at you. And it can be difficult. But that, so, so the confidence thing, I think, was really good for me. And sometimes I doubt myself as well and think, oh, I was just in the right place at the right time. I was just lucky if I hadn't have gone then or if I'd have been working at a different organisation or if I'd just taken a slightly different path, I wouldn't have ended up there. But then I've reflected on that over the years and thought back in the early days, there was probably about, 10 or 15 people on that team and only two people out of that original team have gone on to be heads of RPA so it's about yes I was lucky to, to, to get the opportunity but I took the opportunity and I have to remind myself of that and just just have a bit more confidence in myself and I think imposter syndrome something that we very much uh, feel not just women I think everyone can feel it sometimes and I have felt that I think mainly since starting work at Thames because I was with my last organisation for the, the last 15 years for the whole of my RPA career, was in one team, one centre of excellence, one business, one industry. And you can, when you move on, you start to think, well, my experiences were 15 years ago. Is it still relevant? Do people still want to hear what I've got to say? But you do soon realise for the three or four things that aren't relevant anymore, there's a hundred other things that are still exactly the same. Everyone makes the same mistakes. You can see things come in and your experience is valued. So I don't know if, David, if you've got any experiences in imposter syndrome that you'd want to share with us yeah absolutely and i really when thinking about imposter syndrome which really is really self-doubt i think everyone experiences it it's not just a woman-centric centric issue it, it also applies to men as well and I, I think one of the keys though is that just in my experience as a man and being raised as a man we tend to it's stressed to us that you need to always be confident and be strong and and never communicate or even just it's difficult for us to communicate, especially when it comes to something that could be perceived as weakness. So yes, I think various times in my career, I've suffered from some shape, way, shape or form of imposter syndrome, or I've doubted myself and, uh, and, and actually it may have cost me other opportunities that I very well deserve, but I just didn't really think I was ready for it at the time. And one thing that comes to mind is sometime midway in my career, there was a time when I was asked to, which I thought is a good thing, I was asked to be like a team lead. But with that came more responsibility, but no, but nothing else to it. So it wasn't a promotion. It wasn't, it was essentially the same thing, but it was just an informal title, but with a managerial type role. And I thought of it as a good thing. I was like, wow, I've, I've been singled out. I've been recognized as that. But there was a part of me, even at that time, at that who thought, should I ask for something? Should I ask for that promotion? Should I wait and see if I do this and I prove myself, maybe I will. But it was very difficult for me to do that. And I don't think I really stepped up to the plate. I accepted it as something that was good, but it was me doubting myself in terms of believing that I really deserve that second step, but also taking that responsibility. And even also thinking that maybe I'm not right for that, that even that role. And I think I, sh and in, in retrospect, looking back on it, I think I did short myself in that respect. And actually, if me today talking to me then, I would be like, absolutely, this is what you should do. Don't sell yourself short. Take that step. Ask for what, what you believe you deserve. And, uh, and also say, it's okay to feel self-doubt. Everyone feels it. I think another thing is that communication is not really a, a strong suit. And I'm speaking, of course, it's a generalization, but for men to just communicate that they actually do have doubt, that they are questioning whether they can do this or, or that they're just having a challenge with thing. And we, you can bottle it in and, uh, and it could be counterproductive and instead just make that strong face and be like, I've got this all under control. When it's not, that's not a productive way to be. And that's not really a, a good role model in a sense for anyone. So yeah, I, I just, I think everyone experiences it and it's okay. 
it's okay. It's, but the, I think the one thing that where it doesn't become okay is when, when you let it overrun your decisions in the process. Sharing your insights, David, because a lot of times we do think as women or a minority that uh, you have to be that strong face in order to be accepted by the others in the room. So I really appreciate you sharing your story with us and something for us all to keep in, in mind as we're dealing with our colleagues who may seem like they've got it all together and you have that strong face, but maybe actually underneath do need a little bit more help or support with their current situation or task. So, so Bindi, I've been waiting to, to talk to you about this bronze medal that you've won in karate. I, I do uh, understand from previous conversations that you were a black belt in karate and, and you've shared that that was actually a really interesting place to come from and background to have as you entered into the business world. Share your story with our guest here today. Yes, it's interesting because my um, friends would probably, not probably, they used to laugh at me and say, do you really pay to get beat up? when I was doing martial arts. It's a very male-dominated sport, as you. but what it really taught me were, um, when I was actually doing martial arts was discipline and self-awareness. One thing that really stuck with me in that space, and it was probably the first time where I really felt the true power of what I could be. I still remember I was sparring with another person. And it, it, when I say male-dominated, you're talking like six foot tall, strong, you know, men that are actually in the dojo with you. And I remember we'd been partnered off to spar. So that's uh, freestyle fighting. Right? And a guy that I was partnering with, he said to me, he goes, he says, I don't care what you look like. I don't care what what's your age, your gender. He says, all I can see is that black belt around your waist. And therefore, you are going to be treated exactly the same as anybody with a black belt in this dojo. And, uh, and it was really powerful. Obviously, I was sat there thinking, if I don't move, this guy is going to go straight through me and exactly what he intended to do. And he set it straight and he came at me with all his sheer power, just as he would have done um, fighting a six foot tall um, bloke as well. And he did. And I moved out of the way so I wasn't injured. But it was really powerful because that sport, even though it is very male dominated, you were respected for what you had right achieved it was a belt around your waist that gave you the respect across the entire team of people in that room and i thought it was really powerful off the back of that i built a lot of strength mentally and physically <laughs> um, in terms of power and it's really interesting because then i enter the corporate world and suddenly you're faced with all these society norms and corporate norms and judgments and expectations on the way you probably need to be dressing and speaking and acting and suddenly that whole thing of achievement for what you've actually worked hard to get like i did in martial arts um is now being you're now being judged for everything else around that so it's not just about your experience that you bring to the table so that was probably really interesting for me. I kick-started with that power, but then I entered the corporate world of then suddenly realizing that oh, things are going to be a little bit tricky here. But I think um, one of the experiences that I do want to talk about in the corporate world and bring to the table today, and I think it's really important and requires really quite a lot of courage, which I know that people on this panel will have and people listening will definitely have stories of their own to tell in this space. But I'm a true believer that you just need one hand to be lifted and one voice to completely change the dynamic or change the direction. I remember listening to a quote in a movie, I think it was a dance movie, and I loved this. And it was like, one move can set an entire generation free. And, and just based on that, just to elaborate on the story that I'm about to tell you. So when I was living in Singapore, the company I was working for at that time wanted to understand how they retain their female staff, but also how do they encourage more women to take on leadership roles. So they got together a forum of ladies and I was invited to participate in that forum. And I remember I was there with lots of views and I was you know, ready to speak up. And the room started and there were several women that were going before me round robin and they were asked about what changes that need to happen, what do you aspire to be, what's your views on the whole topic. And every lady that was before me was, I felt, was representing and speaking 
in alignment to what she believed that facilitator wanted to hear, which was all positive. Um, it's amazing. I'm really looking forward to expanding my career here. I'm very well supported. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? And it got to me and I thought, okay. And I just went and I just like laid it out on the table and I was like, these are the problems that you have that we need to address if you want to solve your problems that you've got right now with regards to retention of women and actually moving them up the ladder. And basically then what happened, which I thought was really powerful, was that I spoke up and, oh, my God, every single woman after me was that was it was all laid on the table and they just brought all the other issues, all the other concerns, all their suggestions and ideas to the table. And that, that whole norm of what everybody felt that they had to follow, because I'm guessing society demands it. And, I, and I, there's nothing against the women that didn't speak up, because I know that a lot of them came from societies where it's not the norm to speak up. But what was really powerful for me as an individual is that if I am, am brave and have the courage to speak the truth and challenge, then just think, of, I, I just walked out thinking, I've just allowed the communication channel for all these women that followed me to open up as well. And suddenly the dynamics of the room changed. But I am not the only one that has those type of stories. And I'm sure the people in our audience also do. But I'd, Nikki, I'd love to hear from you because I'm sure you've got several of these examples in your career as well. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking and reflecting back on my career and trying to think of the times that, you know, where being brave has been something significant. And the main one that I've drawn it back to is that I glossed over it earlier. But when I joined the Blue Prism team back in 2006, as like I said, I didn't have much of a, a CV at that point. It was all customer services stuff because I've been, like I say, McDonald's front line and then on call centre. And I've done this little bit of project work, which, to be honest with you, the main motivation for doing that was just because I didn't like answering the phones. It was literally just anything to get me off the phone back in those days. And in, and I think the, the, the sort of bravest thing I did was, was speaking to one of the guys on the project team who had this role that was in his in his team. And he showed me the role profile and I looked at it and it was it to me who had no experience in, in much else. It just looked like a load of technical jargon. And I was just like, no, I absolutely can't do that. But I had to sit down, had a chat with this guy and he explained and, and said, look, it's not about looking at the specific wording that they've put and thinking you can do that. Let, let's talk about the skills that you've got that could uh, line up to that. And I think just having that one person believe in me is the thing that allowed me to be brave and to apply for that job. And if I hadn't have done that, I've got absolutely no idea what my life would be like today. And that's no exaggeration because at that point I had no university education. I had no goals I had no desire to do anything really it was really connecting with RPA as a tool blue prism or RPA as a tool to give me something that I wanted to do I've never known what I've wanted to do I've never been the kid who wanted to be a teacher or a ballet dancer or my whole life I never really knew what I wanted to do so I think sometimes listen to other people and be brave enough to not feel arrogant or you're going to be judged for women are always looked at sometimes I think if you want to be successful and you want to be strong and you want to be brave Sometimes you can be labelled in a slightly different way. And, and I think it's important just to believe in yourself and, and bravery that way can sometimes uh, make a big difference. Being brave is sometimes the hardest thing for us to do, especially being brave for ourselves. Sometimes it's easier to be brave for someone else. So, so thank you. Thank you very much uh, for sharing. David, let's, let's put you in the hot spot for the minute. You, uh, you shared with us that most of your team, most of your career has been in marketing and high tech, but in marketing, your teams have predominantly been women. So you've been on the opposite side of the coin and in uh, you're a, a man, and yet you've maybe spent your career in the minority position. So I think that would be interesting for us to hear your perspective and how you think that's helped shape you and how you take what you've learned from that perspective and, and apply it to challenge maybe some of your male colleagues who, who don't quite have the same perspective as you. And yeah, that's absolutely true. I think when you look at it, it's non-traditional in the sense, unfortunately, that I was in the, I was a majority minority in many cases. And I didn't really, at least early on in those situations, I didn't really didn't think any differently. It was just, I was like, Hey, this is, I guess this is the way it is very early on. And so I, and maybe through that naive lens, I didn't really, I wasn't really mindful of any kind of 
biases that could be taking place, could be occurring, could not be. I was very much of a heads down, this is the way it is, and let's just go about um, doing things. But and but it also allowed me to, you could say, see the other side, so to speak. And 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 really, it was just much easier to 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 just work collaboratively and work regardless of who it was. It just, it, it was just the way, it, I was just the way it, I was used to doing things. But that's not to say that there weren't times. And again, I may have not really realized it at the time, but there was one time that I did in the sense that I was on a, I believe, so I was in a large organization, large team to where we, uh, within the team, my manager was a woman and we had pods. So basically we had different work streams where people were put into. And in my pod, I was the only man in that pod. And there was one time when we had this, basically, it might've been a QBR or something where all of us got together and started going through planning and going through and presenting. And I was asked to, and I wasn't really, I wasn't really asked to really contribute a lot in, in, in that. I contribute, yes, but not lead anything or not present anything. And so that did raise an eyebrow a bit, but then at the time, short notice, I was like, why don't you take this and, 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 and present on this? And I'm like, sure, I'll go ahead and do that. And it was really interesting after, I would say a few days after that, I was meeting with my manager on our one-on-one -on -one, and she told me, she goes, you know what? I was really impressed with how you presented that, that day. And I was like, well, thank you. But in the back of my mind, I was like, nothing has really changed. <laughs> you know, I mean, I could have done this any, at any given point, but I'm glad you, I'm glad she recognized that. And I was appreciative of that, but I, in hindsight, I was thinking maybe that was a sense of, of just uh, biases on the other side and just seeing maybe there was some preferential treatment going on and just some bias. So those experiences, I mean, you take the good and the bad, and I think you, you learn from all of them. And for me, it's really, it's really caused me to be more mindful of any type of bias that goes on, unconscious or not, because I think there's also a stigma when we say, oh, when an issue or a situation is brought to our attention, it's like we get defensive and it's not necessarily... I don't think it's not necessarily that way. It should be, let me learn more about this because maybe, if not me, maybe someone on my team was responsible for or did something, maybe did have some kind of unconscious bias situation contributed to that. And we need to be mindful of that and also be mindful of others when they're doing that and call them out and be advocates for that. Because I do believe that champions within an organization can really help get the ball rolling in a positive way. You see it in Benny's example where people where, where people started actually expressing their true feelings. I think it's also the case in any situation where if someone comes out and says, I, you know what, I do think that happened, but let's talk about that. Others may be like, you know what? And, and they may start realizing that because it is an unconscious thing and it's not necessarily a negative. It's not like someone is doing that. They're inherently a bad person. It's just that they're just not mindful of what's going on. I know that I've probably been in situations where I've done that and I would like to be called out for it honestly. And I think, uh, so I think it's really important to have those champions, those champions within any team and within any organization. So yeah, so that, that's my view from like a minority majority, but I know that there are probably plenty more stories coming from the actual traditional majority standpoint. So Nikki, um, do you have any experiences uh, from that more traditional sense coming from being in a very male or a male driven, male dominated field, you could say? So I think it's interesting that you, that you say that as well, because my experience is quite unique that when Blue Prism first started out, it wasn't necessarily, there was actually quite a decent balance because there was my sort of two direct managers above me. They were both female of the five foundation customers that there were. There were two or three of those that were female heads of. And then as the company expanded and as obviously it got like a lot more popular and, and it, it was business led at first. So it was meant to be a business tool. It wasn't an IT tool. Obviously, as it's grown and it's evolved, it's come more of an IT. And I've no, I noticed the shift when it went into that sort of more, more accepted by IT world that then actually it did go to a more male majority type of environment. And then it shifted back, obviously, as a as a sort of society, we've, we've started to progress and we're calling out more the inclusion of women. And I always made sure that I tried to balance when I was recruiting my senior team in my previous series that I left behind of uh, myself and my three seniors, the 75% female, but then the rest of the team was probably more male dominated. Having that culture of female at the top level, it changes the way that you manage your team and it changes the way that your team behaves because 
I think sometimes in a male-dominated culture, things can be a bit more about, I don't want to sort of stereotype people, but the experience I've had has been more about results than about, I mean, everything's been a bit more technical and been about understanding, I don't know how I'd say it, but it, it's always been a little bit more uh, prescriptive. And I think the culture that I created with my sort of more female-led was a more of a culture of, of leaning on each other and, and we became a bit more of a family in that sort of sense. And that was culture that I tried to create in, in my last role and... I think the main thing is now, uh, sorry, I've lost my train of thought completely now. Let's look at my notes. I'm going to have a look at. Yeah, so sorry. And then the role that I'm in now, apologies, uh, at Thames Water, we've actually got four developers and three of them are female and only one of them is male. So we're creating that shift in society in general. And I think that's a really good thing. And I know that I said before I was the only presenter on a, on a gender that was female. But actually, you see less and less of that now and you do start to see more female representation and I think that's just that's a really good thing but I don't know if Bindi you've got any other experiences of that minority majority yes I think we're definitely in a very male dominated industry it's interesting because I think it was early on in my career that I'd probably noticed the comments that were coming being one of the females in the room I think as my career progressed it got less and less probably because my confidence probably built up I was a lot more sure in myself very assertive but I've also I think one of the things that um, I experienced is that I've worked in in very diverse um, teams and with different types of cultures and backgrounds where which has required me to understand them in detail and also for me to be able to respect the differences. I remember the first time I went to work in India and oh my God, I would have the UK this year and I'd have India at this year, completely misinterpreting and understanding each other. And, and and really I sat back and thinking, regardless of your background and your nationality, your colour, your gender, your age, the thing is though, what we need to do, and I sat back and I thought, you need to recognise the strengths of both sides and when you recognize that you come together it's so much more powerful so think about what that diversity brings to the team and therefore what are the outcomes that you drive it's not an easy ride I have been in several situations where I'm, I am the only woman in the room or for some reason someone deems it appropriate to make a comment about maybe the way that I look or maybe something I've said when I later on in my career when I became a bit more you know, I'm definitely going to challenge the status quo I've had senior executives say to me everybody be yourself apart from you being the don't be yourself because I know that I'm going to actually challenge so I've come across those scenarios I think the key thing for me is always being assertive and true to what I to myself and what I believe in and and my respect towards the people that I'm working with today I would probably say with my team I do have it's a very diverse team probably because also because obviously it's all across multiple countries but they've all got different backgrounds and different they bring different things to the table and I respect their cultures I respect their values and principles but one thing I do have to say is that and I'm really proud to say this that if you lined up my entire team in the line you could pull out anybody whether they're in Hong Kong or Australia the principles and values that they operate with completely aligned across that team and that's really important for me regardless of their background regardless of their gender yeah I mean it's not an easy ride though I think uh, Nikki we've, uh, we've definitely got plenty of stories to tell in that in that phase and sometimes it's not always been nice really you know you can walk away thinking that wasn't very nice for somebody to say but I think it's one of those things that Maybe it's one of the, it teaches you and, and you, like I said earlier, your experiences help you become what you are today. So yes, thank you, Zena. Absolutely. I'd like to, to uh, before we jump to the audience question, a ask you one, all of you, one more question. And that is, how do you gain the strength to be brave, right? So if you find yourself in that moment, if you find yourself in the classroom and you're the fourth person and everyone else has just played happy, Cindy, I know you, you just, you're the kind of person who's just always been brave since you, it feels like you've probably always been brave since the day you were born. Nikki, you were in some situations, I'm sure early on you shared with us, you had a little bit of imposter syndrome. David, being in, seeing things happen around you that, that maybe there's some bias behind it, or maybe it's just a comment that's just not right. People do make those kinds of comments. How do you, what is one thing that you could tell people listening is something they can do to muster the strength, to be brave in that moment and to do the right thing? 
that's a really difficult question to answer. I think the thing that's made me have the confidence to be strong is it's probably the times that I haven't been strong and I haven't been brave and I haven't spoken up and then it's watching and and sometimes I I have been sat there thinking "Mm, I should have said that or I should have said something and then I feel like the moment's passed so I think sometimes just having the experience of not standing up and saying something and not being brave it gives you the motivation next time to to feel like you should do the right thing because you made that mistake and I think and this is it's a a small tip and it it may be useful or it may not be but something that always stuck in my mind which is on a similar sort of topic is I was speaking to a lady once and she said that it's always difficult to speak in a meeting if you haven't spoken in the first 15 to 30 seconds if you don't speak straight away you find it a lot harder to find your voice so I've always made a conscious decision when I go into a meeting even if it's just hello once you've your voice is out there you find it a lot easier to speak up and it didn't really occur to me before and then when I sat and thought about it and I thought, oh, actually, yeah, maybe that's why. And I tried it a few times and I did find that the meetings where I'd said hello or spoke up or just even just, uh, oh, how was everyone? And just had that bit of engagement. I found it much easier then to get back into the conversation later than being a silent voice trying to get your way in, especially because I did a lot of working from home before COVID because of my, my childcare and things like that when, we, when my, my children were born. And I think it'll be different now, but back then you were very much just a voice in a conference room on a phone that if you didn't speak up people forget you there so i don't know if that's useful for anyone that's great advice Uh, go into a meeting speak up early have your voice heard and then it's easier to engage later on and i david shared something earlier that i think was great advice so i'm going to mention it again and and then i'm going to put him on the spot to come up with new advice and that was what would the future me tell the now me right? The future me would tell the now me do this or that. And I think that's a good question to ask yourself, right? If you're feeling fear in the moment, wait a minute, what would the future me tell the now me to do? Because it brings you that different perspective as you shared, Nikki, with the having have felt not doing it in the moment. So David, Bindi, you guys? Yeah, exactly. Echoing what Nikki said. And I think experience plays a role in it where you see the results of inaction. And, and you feel, is that the result that should, can I play a role now in making a change? I think it is one of those things. And I think also a thing is, is there's always a perceived, whenever speaking out in, in something, I think there's always a fear of being perceived of what you're saying or what you're going to say as being a perceived negative. So I think also it's in many cases, I think this is a general, in any general sense, it's, I often say it's not what you say, it's really how you say it in some, in some respects. So sometimes you can say it the best thing, but if your tone or your delivery is, is just is just not the best, it may be shut down. So I think also it's just in the way of promoting that idea and and also maybe even just pushing it back and posing it as a question to that person that's speaking to say, I, I really think that X, Y, Z, what do you think about that? Or there was a situation. So I think there are ways to go about it, but I think also just just try not to be shut down by any kind of anticipating anticipating that and not being perceived as a negative, as a negative person in that sense, because that's really not the intention. Bindi, any tips or strategies to share? Yeah, so I think probably more recently that I've come to realise this, I was probably doing it all my life, actually, to be honest, but it's really become evident in the recent years is formulate your cheerleaders. Make sure you have a support network, I think, is really important. The times when I'm about to go on stage or I've got a really I'm nervous because I'm about to and they'll go on a panel or whatever and pick up the phone to a friend or a mentor or anybody that's actually going to go speak down the phone and basically tell me how amazing I am and I've had those moments when when I've been stressed out or suddenly doubting myself on something and I pick up the phone and say to I might be speaking to my best friend for example and say oh I've just come into this and I don't feel like this and, don't, and she just she's, she's very um, um, straight to the point she's can I just stop you there can I just remind you <laughs> when you just took off from England and went to the other side of the world and set up an entire capability in India from scratch after being whatever five six years into your career and she said let me just remind you of that and don't forget that so I think that's really powerful having that support network and the people that are around you that are going to cheer you along and constantly remind you how amazing you are we tend to forget what we've achieved we and especially as women in particular I think we always don't even believe it's us that's achieved it so I think 
I would definitely say make sure you've got a, a strong support network and it doesn't have to be just professional. So I know that if I picked up a phone and called my mum, she would just tell me how amazing I am as well. So, And when I was younger, I grew up with my grandma who was absolutely fearless and, oh my God, such an inspiration. And she would be like, just go do it. No excuses, Bindi, just go do it. And that's the sort of, that's the sort of people that you want around you that are constantly push you and constantly support you. Yeah, I, I think I think all of us at least have one of those mamas, grandmas standing behind us. And I think that I think that also speaks to strong women in your lives, right? They don't have to come from a professional background. They can be your mother, your sister, your grandmother, or, or a friend's mother, really anyone in, in your life that can impact you. So let's move to questions um, from the audience. So I'll just let, raise your hand, um, whoever would like to take it. What's the best way to push back when they when HR does not want to offer you the pay that you feel like you should have or that is equal to a male counterpart in, in your business? Any feedback, maybe from the ladies on how to address that? You've gone up in your career, and Nikki, both. Um, how do you make sure you're getting paid fairly for the role that you play? Shall I go first? Yeah, yeah. Go first. <laughs> okay. Um, um, so I think for me, I think talking from experience, when I have had to do this, the important thing was to lay the facts on the table, like properly do my research and clarity on the role that I'm performing and the market research on what that role is getting paid and to clearly outline the differences if somebody else who's performing that same role is getting paid higher. So it was really backing it up with the data. So there was, in my particular scenario at that point, there wasn't really, and I make my argument in my case quite strong because if I've got the facts on the table and exactly why this is important and why it's necessary, it made the conversation a lot easier. And also sometimes in some of the cases that I've actually talked about, I've also related it to from a business impact as well. So in some cases, I, I felt like I've actually advised HR and said, I think you need to consider your internal policies and think about this and this and maybe made them aware of something that they weren't aware of. I must admit it's something that I've only, I guess, in recent years, I think early on in my career, it was probably a lot more difficult. But now it's, for me, I think it's important to lay the facts on the table and make sure you've done your research and you've got something to back it up. So it's not just give me some more money. That's what's worked for me. the market research side, but also the impact to the business of not uh, doing that, bring a different perspective to the table. Nikki, I'm curious with your background that you've shared coming from a customer service world, not a technical world, having been in RPA since the beginning of RPA as it may be, and seeing it shift from a more business to technical sort of fabrication of a team makeup. How has that impacted your ability to keep on par with the pay that you, the salary that you should deserve coming from that background and building and bringing all that experience in although you might not check the box on a bachelor's degree or whatever the the explicit criteria might state as you say don't pay attention to that too much so i think it's it was very difficult for me especially in my, my previous role because i think everyone knows when you're moving in through roles internally in a company it's always much harder to justify uh, what salaries would be and I think I probably echo a lot of what Bindi said and, and I was lucky that I had a direct manager and, and even the manager sort of that was a real champion for me and, and for the rest of my team and really was ready to go to bat for us and I've always tried to do that for my team as well they've looked out for me and supported me and I think if you're lucky enough to work with people that are your advocates and that will go into those sessions and fight for you and um, then that's that, that's great and uh, but I'd echo what Bindi says as well about getting it all documented and written down um, doing your market research and, and and that. I think just something else to add that, that I did do, which might may or may not be good advice, I don't know, but it's something that worked for me. Uh, it wasn't for me specifically, it was for one of my team members. One of the ways that we managed to, to get, because she come from a similar background and was really so graded, but she was an internal move and we needed to do a significant pay rise on her. So one thing that we did do was we proposed a staged increments. So we got three separate pay rises, six months apart, with some specific stuff to hit in the middle so it may not be ideal but if it works and it gets gets you to where you need to be 
then that's just something else that you can try. I think everyone's HR departments, everyone's got different processes and procedures and ways to get that approved. But yeah, that, that's just another angle to, to go at it is just to try and do something in increments and just say, look, okay, so 12% pay rise or 30% pay rise, I think it was, will probably not be very appetizing. But what about 10 months, six months apart? Can we go with something like that? And so I think it's just about negotiating as well as backing it up with that fact so you get to the right end place. Yeah, negotiation. That's something um, <laughs> that is another topic we could spend probably an hour on alone. Let's jump to our next question. And, and David, let's have you jump in on this one. It's around finding a mentor or supporter. Both Bindi and Nikki have talked about finding champions in, in the organization, whether it be professionally, as Nikki mentioned, that can really look out for you and help pull you up and ensure that you're getting the opportunities that you deserve, or whether it's just someone to tell you how amazing and great you are before you go on the big stage. What, what are some strategies that you could share that, that you found successful in working with supporters, finding those champions, finding mentors that can help lead your way? Yeah, I think from a professional sense, it's really meeting as many people as possible. So I remember in, in one job that I started, it was about scheduling one-on-ones with as many people in the organization as I could. And that was limited at first to the marketing organization. And that wasn't only executives, that was everyone. And just picking their brain and starting out early in a job is really your chance at just talking about anything. It doesn't even have to be about something specifically related to a project because you don't really have any at that moment, right? But it can be any time. But I would say schedule one-on-one where it doesn't even need to be a one-on-one about a specific work item. It could just be, I just want to talk and uh, meet as many as possible, talk to them. And from there, you can identify who would actually seem to be the right one to continue those conversations with. And, uh, and I think people would be surprised at how many at regardless of the level, if you just schedule some time with someone and you can even explicitly say this is not necessarily really work related, it's more about just talking about anything, really, how many will be receptive to that? Because I think we we have a sense of being, I don't want to bother someone. I need The only time I need, I can put something on their diary on their calendar is when it's work-related or it's important and it has an agenda and it's very specific, but that's not necessarily the case a lot of times. And in fact, in many cases, I think people welcome that and they'll make time for that because I think many people are willing to do that much more than people realize, really. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a there's a really powerful word and the word is help. I need help. And you find very few other humans in the world that when you say I need help, they go, who cares? And they just walk away from you. So it's a very powerful, it's a very powerful word. And yeah, just inviting someone in, right, to be your champion, I think it is good advice going to them and inviting them in. So great. Thank you so much. And uh, what I'd like to do now is jump and look at our poll and talk a little bit about what our audience told us. So the question was, what do you choose to challenge? And the number one response is diversity doesn't matter. It's all hype. <laughs> so I love that. <laughs> I love that. So one of the stories I've heard, having been in this crazy tech world for too long, I won't date myself either, is Twitter. One of the reasons that Twitter has become this bullying platform one of the perspectives on that was that it was created by four middle-aged white men sitting in a coffee house in Silicon Valley, and that really none of them had ever maybe been the victim of bullying, and therefore they didn't even have that in their minds as they were building this technology. And I thought that was a, of an interesting way to think about the power of diversity being at the table and being part of the strategy before you even create anything. I'm interested if you guys have experiences where that lack of diversity from the onset, later on you look back and said, oh man, we really you know, missed that because there wasn't a female representative or a black representative or whatever minority it may be that wasn't represented at the table. 
any experiences to share there? I think, um, not. I don't know if I can recall a specific, I'm sure there's plenty, there's loads. But I think one of the things that I try to speak about, because I don't think a lot of people think of diversity, they just think it's just different types of people, right? But the whole thinking around the different types of people is that their upbringing, their um, principles, their values of society is so different to what you have. So what there will always be, be people that will see things that you don't see. And so therefore, um, one of the things that I always try to focus on is making sure that my blind spots are covered, because if I'm not, then I'm, I'm definitely not going to be have any competitive advantage. And um, interestingly, uh, one of the things that I, when I was hiring my team, the, the, my actual line to the recruiter was, bring me people that don't think like me, because I need people to to, I need to see my blind spots. I don't want people that are just going to think exactly the same as me because then I'm just not going to get the job done and the quality. I can't think of any specific examples, Ina, but I think there'll be plenty, there'll be loads. In fact, right now in the COVID times, I remember times you think, oh, UK was a classic. It was like uh, Nikhil No, right, last year when the salons wouldn't open, the beauty salons, so it was okay for um, a male to go get their be beard shaved, but it wasn't okay for a female to have threading done on her face. And I'm thinking, and I sat there thinking, which woman was in that room when that decision was made? <laughs> so there's, there's, it's happening every single day in and day out, I think, around us. But yeah, that was probably one of the examples from me. That's a great and very real example or something that seems so silly that why would a man be able to get a shave, but a woman can't you know, have a facial or, or whatever. What's really the difference It's because men were in the room deciding and they are the ones who needed the shave. I love that. That's great. Let's see what, what else? I, okay. The next one that came in at the highest is the gender pay gap is just a fact of life. Men will always make more than women. We covered this on strategies for how to go in and stand up for yourself. So, so I, it feels good. I believe we got to cover questions from the audience as well as uh, jump into our poll. And we are now at the top of the hour, 59 minutes in. So in respect of all of your time, thank you so much for joining us. Bendy, Nikki, David, really appreciate your insights and sharing with the group today. And we'll see you next time for another Empower Hour. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.